These two chapters, especially chapter 34, is not a chapter that we can read with a light heart. It is a chapter about God's severe judgment, about his anger that burns. And the topic of God's wrath is a difficult topic. It is a difficult topic to speak on, and it is a difficult topic to listen to. And for that reason, many people shy away from this difficult, difficult topic. Um, I think we, we see that many people are ashamed of what the Bible says. But it strikes me that creatures are in no position to correct the Creator. And the criminal doesn't get to lecture the judge in the courtroom. And so at the very basic level, we, creatures and sinners, we need some humility in our heart to listen even to the things that make us very uncomfortable. However, it seems to me that it is not just rampant heresy or being ashamed of what the Bible says that makes the topic of God's judgment very difficult to hear. I think when we find our lives very difficult, we get a sense, now incorrectly, but nevertheless, when we find our lives very difficult, we get the sense that God's judgment is upon us. And when we already fear, when we already carry that sense, again, incorrectly, but when life has become very difficult, we feel like we are living under God's judgment. We are simply emotionally exhausted to think much or even deeply about God's judgment. But I want to tell you this morning that as we think through this difficult topic of God's judgment, there is actually grace and there is actually comfort especially so if your life has been very difficult. And so the first thing, if we are going to be honest and have integrity in our dealing with the Bible, is to see that in these two chapters that we read, the first thing we need to recognize is the clear and overwhelming message of God's wrath. Now, once again, no one can read Isaiah chapter 34 with a light heart. Listen to what verse 2 says. For the Lord is enraged against all the nations and furious against all their hosts. He has devoted to destruction, has given them over for slaughter. These are horrific words. God's anger, wrath burns not just a little but intensely, he is furious. And the decree that he has made is that he is going to slaughter the nations, the world. And it gets worse. Look at verse 3. Their slain shall be cast out, and the stench of their corpses shall rise. The mountain shall flow with their blood. It seems to me the expression, the Hebrew expression is suggesting not that, that the blood of the slain will flow over the 
surface of the mountain, but the picture that is being drawn is that the blood of the slain has so soaked the ground that the mountain sides are sliding off as when, you know, when you, when you look at heavy rain, what heavy rain can do to mountain sides, it's the water so saturates the soil that the mountain gives way and you see a huge mudslide. That's the picture here. The blood of the slain has saturated the soil. It has soaked the soil, and the ground is giving way because of the blood. And it's not the blood that is flowing. It's the mountain that is flowing because of the blood. And the question to ask is, why is God so angry? The answer is verse 8. For the Lord has a day of vengeance, a year of recompense for the cause of Zion. Why is God so angry? What is happening to Zion is making God angry. And you realize as we kept reading on chapter 34, the the focus shifts from nations to one particular nation of Edom. Now, Edom, of course, was uh, a people that came from Esau, Jacob's twin brother. And you remember from Genesis how there was hostility between Esau and Jacob. And after Esau and Jacob passed away, there was perpetual hostility uh, between people of Esau, Edom, and people of Jacob, Israel. And so Edom in the Bible is a symbol and it's it's a representative of a people who have hostility toward God's people, people who have Uh, a unceasing and perpetual hostility against God's people. And Edom represents all nations that inflict pain upon the people of God that he loves. That is to say, why is God so angry? He sees Zion. He sees his beloved people being oppressed. He sees the nations arraigned against his beloved people. He sees the nations oppressing and 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 afflicting his beloved people. That is why God is angry, to see his beloved people suffering. That is why his rage is burning. And it's a rage... It's a wrath that does not dissipate after a while. God's wrath against the nations that that inflict pain upon his people, God's anger against the nations that cause his people to suffer, that wrath endures forever. Look at verse 9. The streams of Edom shall be turned into pitch and her soil into sulfur. From generation to generation, It shall lie waste. None shall pass through it forever and ever. God's wrath and the judgment that comes from it, that is an everlasting judgment. Simply because God, he does not make peace with those who oppress 
his children. What parent would? Could you make peace with anyone that inflicts great pain upon your own children? Could you make peace with anyone who comes with ill intent to harm your children? You couldn't. Neither can God. That is why God's anger is burning. And not only is God's judgment forever, His judgment is also holy and entirely destructive. And did you notice, it may have struck you a little odd how God's judgment, the declaration of God's judgment brings in animals, owls, ostriches, porcupines. What's going on? The point is this. God's judgment upon the nations is so completely and utterly destructive that the cultivated places of the nations, the pride of mankind, become a wilderness. Look at verse 11. The hawk and the porcupine shall possess it. The owl and the raven shall dwell in it. What has taken mankind millennia to build? What gives man the sense of pride and accomplishment? What causes man to look at himself and say, I am great? God in his wrath and anger will destroy in one day. That's the point. God will also stretch the line of confusion over it and the plumb line of emptiness. In the Old Testament, you often find the expression of a measuring line, plumb line. Um, in our language, it's the work of surveying properties for the purpose of sale. And in harsh times, uh, the measuring line and the plumb line are not used because there is no buying and selling. But here, God says the, uh, he will stretch the line of confusion over the nations and the plumb line of emptiness. In other words, it's really interesting to think about the words confusion and emptiness here because those two same words uh, we first encounter in Genesis chapter 1. And in Genesis chapter 1, those two words are rendered as without form and void. Do you remember how the creation before God brought order into it was chaos? It was without form and void. And Isaiah uses the same words for confusion and emptiness. And this is his way of saying what mankind builds in sin ends up without purpose without shape, and without meaning. Why? Because God is angry against the nations and the sinners that oppress his people. And in his great and burning wrath, he will reduce their pride, their achievements, their accomplishments in one day to be utterly nothing. That's the message of wrath here. And I think already we are beginning to realize that there is a different a dimension to God's wrath for God's people. Why is God angry? 
He is angry because his people are suffering. And that brings us to the second point, the promise of justice. And if you uh, were listening, you noticed the tone changes dramatically in chapter 35. Chapter 34 is an unrelieved judgment, wrath, destruction. But that tone changes dramatically in chapter 35, starting with verse 1. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. And so these two chapters set a powerful contrast. In chapter 34, on the one hand, God reduces the glitzy achievement of sinful mankind to nothing. The bustling cities, the cultivated gardens become abandoned mass grave. No longer fit for human dwelling, no longer fit to be the pride of mankind. When God reduces them, it becomes a mass grave that is fit only for wild animals. But on the other hand, in chapter 35, God changes the wilderness of his people and he turns that into the place of joy and blessing. And so verse 3, that's why we hear this wonderful encouragement and and promise. Verse 3, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Do you see the contrast? On the one hand, God will reduce all the luxurious, all the proud accomplishments and trappings of nations and make it a mass grave fit only for the wild animals. Gardens become a wasted wilderness. On the other hand, the experience of God's beloved people was nothing more and no better than a wilderness, but God is going to transform it to a place of joy and gladness. And that is why this is a strength-giving promise. Look at verse 2. Behold, Your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. We read the same expression in chapter 34 about God's vengeance and recompense. And in chapter 35, Isaiah says, God will come with vengeance and with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. And here, vengeance means justice for the suffering people. I think you, if you live long enough, we all experience this. In life, we sometimes suffer things unjustly. And unjust suffering, unfair suffering, is a very painful suffering. If we know for example, that the difficult things are happening to us because of poor choices that we have made, we at least understand the reason. But when we are suffering innocently, 
when we are at the receiving end of unfair treatment, injustice, that hurts. And what makes it worse is that so often in life, we suffer abuse unfairly, unjustly. We are hurt. And when we cry out for justice, that cry often goes unanswered. One of the, th- one of the uh, things that my children learn to say first is, it's not fair. <laughs> you know, we have this innate sense of justice. And when something unfair happens to them, they say, it's not fair, and they come running to their parents. Who do you turn to? We're not children anymore. And when unfair things happen to you, when you suffer injustice, to whom do you turn? And when we are abused and mistreated, and, and it hurts because no one seems to care, and if they do care, they're unable to give us the justice that we deserve. And sometimes truth is buried so deep that no one else can see it, and you suffer in silence. And at times, even God seems absent and uncaring. And this is why we need to understand that when God promises vengeance and recompense, what God is promising when he says there will be vengeance, what God is promising is that there will be perfect justice and perfect reckoning. That's what God is promising. What God is saying, when it seems to us that God doesn't seem to listen to our prayers or he doesn't seem to care, what Isaiah is saying is, no, you're wrong. I know for the time being, I know for the moment, it it seems as though God doesn't listen and it seems as though for the time being that he doesn't care. But you are wrong if you think that he has forgotten about you. You are wrong if you think that he is okay with you suffering because God, our God, is a God whose anger and wrath burns when he sees his children suffer. And so there will be vengeance, a perfect justice and a perfect reckoning. But not only so, there will be recompense. You know what that is saying? Not only will God make sure that truth one day will come out and prevail, not only will God vindicate you when you have suffered unfairly and unjustly, there will be recompense, meaning God will himself pay back what we have lost. God will himself restore what we have been deprived of, And God would himself give us what was denied us. And so when Isaiah says that there will be vengeance and recompense, that's God saying to you, I will not forget your suffering. There will be justice, and I will make up for everything that you have lost. 
And that is why, that is why Isaiah says in chapter 35, verse 3, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. And if you, and if you have been hurt, if you have been sinned against in this harsh and unfair world, that's God's promise to you. Be strong. Fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God, he will save you. And that is the promise that gives us the strength to face this hurtful world with courage. So first, God's wrath. Second, the promise of justice. And thirdly, the promise of redemption. So once again, God will reduce the sinners to nothing and their proud achievement will become a wilderness. But God heals the hurts of his people. Verse 5, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Now, jumping forward a little bit, you realize this is exactly what Jesus said, don't you? And this is Isaiah speaking beforehand that God will begin to heal and God will begin to bring justice and he will begin to bring recompense with the coming of Jesus Christ who came and opened the eyes of the blind and opened the ears of the deaf. That with his coming, every darkness, every chaos, and every emptiness Every meaningless things will begin to disappear. And that is exactly what we need to be told and be reminded of this morning. Because our life often feels like a wilderness. And wilderness is exactly the place where we often lose our bearing because we cannot see the well-trodden path to follow. That's what a wilderness is, where you can't find your way, where there are no roads, where there are no, no signs to follow. But notice what God says in verse 8, God will make a way, and a highway shall be there. What's a highway? A highway is literally a path that has been raised above its surroundings to be unmistakable. And God is saying, in the wilderness where we lose our bearing, in the wilderness where we are confused where to go, in the wilderness where we often struggle to find the right way, God will raise a highway and where we see no path before us, God will make a path for us. But did you notice what that highway is called? It is called the way of holiness. So how can we ever hope to tread 
that path? How can we ever hope to be on that way? And it's verse 10 that answers the question for us. The redeemed shall walk there. The Hebrew word for redeem uh, and the Hebrew word for redeemer come from the same word, goel. And it's an interesting word because in parts of the Old Testament, for example, in Numbers chapter 35 or Deuteronomy chapter 19, that word is translated as an avenger. An avenger. And the function of the avenger is to pursue justice for his murdered next of kin. So in those passages, the avenger's function is to be a substitute, to speak up and to act in the place of one who cannot act for himself or who cannot speak for himself. That's the function of the avenger. But more commonly, we know that word, more commonly we know a translation of the word as a redeemer. And that is a beautifully uh, described or played out for us in the book of Ruth, because Boaz is called a redeemer. And what did Boaz do? He took Ruth's and Naomi's needs as his own, And he strengthened their weak hands. And so that is the function of the kinsman redeemer. The kinsman redeemer comes to people who cannot speak for themselves. The kinsman redeemer comes to those who cannot act for themselves. The kinsman redeemer comes to those who cannot help themselves. And he says, what? What is your problem? Give it to me. The kinsman redeemer comes and says to those who cannot speak for themselves, who cannot help themselves, and he says, what do you need? I will meet your need. And the redeemer says, what is your burden? I will carry it. Put it on my shoulders. And you see, that's exactly how Sinful Israel could hope to walk on the way of holiness. And that is exactly how you and I, as sinful as we are, can walk and travel down the way of holiness because of our Redeemer. He saw us in our need, in our defiled, broken condition. He came and he made us clean, and out of his loving and generous heart, he has redeemed us. And because of what he has done, because of what Jesus has done as our Redeemer, because he is at once the Avenger and the Redeemer, he is the one who pursues justice for those that are sinned against. He is the one who speaks for those who cannot speak for themselves. He is the one who acts for those who cannot act for themselves. He is the one who takes upon the need of the needy and the burdens that are crushing us. And he says, I will do it. I will carry them. And that's what Jesus has done. And because of what Jesus has done, we, even though our lives often feel a wilderness full of confusion, 
we can hope to reach our heavenly rest. And verse 10, And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. We are the redeemed and we are the ransomed. And notice how if God's judgment against the sinful nations is everlasting, notice that our redemption is everlasting. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy. And if God's wrath against the nations is utter and complete, his redemption for his people is also complete. The sorrow and sighing shall flee away. And loved ones, this is the promise that God gives you in Jesus Christ. Has the world been unfair to you? Has your life been difficult? What is your problem? Give your problem to Jesus. What is your need? Jesus will meet it. What is your burden? Lay them on his shoulders. And he will be your redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, that he, out of the abundance of his love and mercy, that he spoke up for those of us, we who had no word of defense. He acted when we could not have acted to save ourselves. And because of what he has done, we have hope, and we have a future, and we have a glory before us. And so we pray, Father. We pray for your comfort in this hard and difficult world we live in, that your grace, that your mercy would comfort our hearts, and that we would find strength today and tomorrow. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.